Good evening, church family. Thank you so much for tuning in to our Wednesday night service. Hope you're doing well. Praying for you guys uh, each week. Looking forward to gathering together on May the 3rd, our homecoming service. Um, remember, it starts at 9.15, but you have to be here by 9 a.m. There's plenty of information. You should be getting a, a letter this week, as well as there's a, a Facebook video available. And then there are the announcements we made last Sunday there. Uh, make sure you're informed as well as you can be. And of course, if you have any questions, you can always call the office and talk to Pastor Justin, Ms. Andrew, or myself. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tonight. We're only going to be covering uh, really one and a half uh, verses, verse t second half of verse 10 and verse 11. Uh, but would you grab your Bibles and, and turn there with me? And let's begin reading at verse 3 and read all the way down to verse 11 so we can get the full context of what the Apostle Paul is saying. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to read verses 3 to 11. Do that now uh, with me. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised again on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Are you thankful for the word of God this evening? Why don't we go together and thank him for his word. Gracious Father, we are in awe of your goodness towards us, of your grace upon grace that you've poured out to us through and in Jesus Christ. We thank you that it is by grace that we've been saved. Um, that you continue to sanctify us by that same grace. We thank you that you have tuned us into your word, that you've given us hearts that have a desire to hear from you in your word, new hearts that are full of love for you. Lord, we recognize that these new hearts that we have are a gift of grace uh, to us from you. Father, we pray that you would give us the grace to hear the words of your scripture now and that we would respond rightly. We pray for the grace that would allow these words to be impressed upon our hearts in such a way that they serve to transform us more and more into the image of your son, Jesus. That they motivate us to labor and toil and strive for the sake of the gospel in a way that brings you honor and glory. So, Father, towards that end, we pray in the name of our Savior, your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, tonight, we come to what is really the end of the beginning. Uh, this is the end of Paul's introduction to his teaching on the resurrection. So where have we been so far? Paul, remember, has made known again the gospel to them. He has emphasized that a central tenet of that gospel that they have professed faith in is the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has pointed to the testimony of countless eyewitnesses, and he has offered his own conversion, his own calling as proof to the power of that resurrection. So uh, today, he's going to bring this to a close. He, 
He does so, he brings it to a close by emphasizing God's grace in the gospel. And so the big idea of our text this evening is really this. God's people strive with all of God's strength, therefore to God alone be the glory. I'll say that again. It's in your notes, by the way. God's people strive with all of God's strength, therefore to God alone be the glory. Paul has been called by grace, but he's also been empowered by that same grace. And so he serves and strives and toils as a gospel minister, but all of this is from God. So in the end, God alone gets all the credit. So let's jump into our text. We're going to take this phrase by phrase. Remember, last week we left off actually in verse number 10. Brock finished with the statement, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and we'll pick up on the next phrase. Why don't you read that phrase with me now in verse 10. That phrase is, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. What can we learn from this particular passage about God's grace? Well, that phrase teaches us that God's grace is effective. God's grace is effective. He says, God's grace did not, toward me, did not prove vain. Remember, we're speaking of grace as we defined it last week, as this free and completely undeserved gift of God. Grace is different than mercy. Mercy is not getting something you deserve, not being punished when you deserve to be punished. Mercy is not having to pay a debt that you owe. Someone displays mercy when they forgive you of a debt. Grace, however, is different. Grace is the giving of something you you do not deserve. Grace could be said uh, to be showing kindness to your enemy. So if a king adopts a homeless child that lives on the street, the king is not obligated to do so. If a king does so, it is a gracious act. And this is a picture of grace. Now, Paul is not referring specifically here in our text to the grace that affected his salvation, the grace that saved him. He's not specifically referring right now to the grace that brought about his salvation, though he talks about that particular grace a lot. The grace that Paul's referring to here is the grace that was given to him by God to make him an apostle. That's the grace he's referring to here. The grace given to him by God to make him an apostle. It was the grace that empowered his gospel ministry. Paul is saying that it was by God's grace that he became an apostle, and it was by God's grace that he remained an apostle. It was by God's grace that Paul ministered, and it was God's grace that made Paul's ministry effective. This is the grace he's referring to in our text now. So this completely undeserved grace of God had a goal and had a purpose to make Paul an apostle to the Gentiles. I want to bring your attention to a text in the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verse 15. This is how Paul puts it there. Listen to this. He says, But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. Did you hear that? He says that God had actually set him apart before he was even born and called him by grace. This is a very typical picture of the effectual nature of God's grace toward his people. He set Paul apart for this particular task before he was even born. Listen to this. 
the grace given to him did not create merely an opportunity for Paul to be an apostle to the Gentiles that he may or may not have ever realized. We can't honestly deal with this text and see God's grace in that way, in that light. God's grace was effective. It did not just create a potential situation for the Apostle Paul, but it brought about that which God desired. Likewise, we see it in another text in the New Testament in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 7 8. This is again Paul speaking. Look what Paul says in this text. He says, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. That is, I, Paul, was made a minister to the Gentiles uh, according to the grace of God through the gospel. He says, he says, which was given to me according to the working of his power. That grace was given to Paul by the working of his power. He goes on verse 8 to say, To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach the Gentiles, preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. See, God's grace comes with God's power. And God's power is not like man's power. God's power inevitably accomplishes what he wills. God says, let there be light, and guess what happens? There's light. God says, let the earth sprout forth vegetation, and the earth sprouts forth vegetation. In a similar fashion, Jesus calls Paul out of darkness, out of his own ignorance, into the light of Christ's glory. He appoints Paul as an apostle to the Gentiles with the same result as God saying, let there be light. Uh, in Acts, we read in Paul's conversion story where uh, Jesus tells Ananias this in Acts chapter 9, verse 15. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. So Paul was chosen as, uh, as God's instrument, as Christ's instrument in the hands of Jesus to bring the gospel to Gentiles, to the sons of Israel, and to the kings, to the ends of the earth. And so, in essence, Jesus is saying here, let there be an apostle to the Gentiles, and there was an apostle to the Gentiles. There was no interview process here. When Ananias goes to tell Paul that he is a chosen instrument of God, of Christ, to do his work, there was no job offer. Jesus did not say, go to Damascus where uh, Ananias will present you with options and you'll have three days to decide whether or not you want to take the position. Can you imagine that? Ananias would have come to Paul and he's like, listen, Paul, uh, here's the deal. There's an office of apostleship. Listen, you're, you're most likely going to be persecuted a lot. <laughs> you, you know what that's like, don't you, Paul? You're going to be rejected. You're going to be stoned. Ultimately, you will suffer death of martyrdom. But hey, before you make your final decision on this job offer, let me tell you about the retirement package. That, that is not at all what happened. God's grace came to Paul, and Paul became the apostle to the Gentiles. That's what Paul's saying in this verse when he lists that phrase in, in verse 10, uh, and gr his grace toward me did not prove vain. That's what he's talking about. He, he's saying that uh, let there be, Jesus says, let there be an apostle let, uh, uh, led to the Gentiles, and let the apostle to the Gentiles bring forth the fruit of the gospel, and it was so. That's the effectual nature of God's grace. Now, when in our text it says his grace did not prove vain, that word vain literally means empty-handed. It means without effect. It's without reaching a goal. 
without accomplishing something. That's not what this grace was. It was not in vain. It was, with, it was not without effect. So said positively, God's grace toward Paul was effective. Paul's labor for the, for the gospel was proof of that. And that's part of what Paul's driving at in our text. In the Corinthian church, the believers there, as the fruit of Paul's labor, they were also proof that God's grace was not in vain. So it should be noted here that God's grace accomplishes what God wills only because it's grounded in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let me see that sentence again. God's grace is effective and it accomplishes what God's wills, what God wills, only because it's grounded in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Remember, think of grace as the favor or kindness of the king. To be in the graces of somebody with all power and authority is a really good thing. To receive grace from God is to have God's favor and God's kindness upon you. We must remember that, that God's grace is not something that God just decided to do. This wasn't just some sort of spontaneous or random event that God decided to pour out his grace into the lives of sinners. No, it's not provoked by something in us either. Instead, God's grace is grounded in his eternal purposes to redeem his people in and through his son, Jesus. Apart from Christ, we have no access to God's grace because we would not be at peace with the king. So we receive grace because of what Jesus has done, and because what Jesus has done is final, the grace we receive is irrevocable, and it is effective. So not only is God's grace effective, but let's go to the next phrase of our text and see what we learn about God's grace there. God's grace is not only effective, but God's grace also produces gospel labor. God's grace is effectual in that it produces uh, gospel labor. That's our second point here. God's grace produces gospel later. labor. <laughs> Not later, but labor. Paul writes this in verse 10. He goes on to say, But I labored even more than all of them. Now, as we've noted, this was the effect of God's grace to Paul. This is not a general labor like Paul was just a better tent maker than all the other tent makers. It's not that Paul had a better work ethic. At least that's not what he's specifically referring to here. The word uh, translated even more when he says, I labored even more than all of them. That word even more, it's literally excessively uh, or abundantly. Paul worked even more. Paul is referring specifically to the labor for the gospel, and the even more is actually referring to his field of influence. See, by the grace of God, Paul had taken the gospel further than all of them. That all of them, of course, is a reference back to verse 9 where he lists all of those apostles. It could really be translated any of them because it's it's each of them, not collectively all of them. So, so Paul is not saying that my labor for the gospel has spread further than all of the apostles combined. But his field of influence has spread further than any one of the other apostles. Again, Paul is also not saying, obviously, that all the other apostles are lazy. That's not his point in saying this. He's simply saying that he is laying out facts that he has covered more ground with and for the gospel 
all by God's grace. Look at how he puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. This will help us understand uh, his, what he means by uh, even more. In verse 13, he says, But we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere which God apportioned to us a measure to reach even as far as you. For we're not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you, for we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ. Not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors, but with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere enlarged even more by you. So as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another, but he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. See, Paul, by the grace of God, was getting a large sphere of ministry. He was getting a large sphere of ministry. It is, is worth noting here that Paul has likely inserted this verse uh, as a reminder to the detractors in Corinth that he has received his grace directly from God to take the gospel to the Gentiles. This was given to him by God. And he's reminding them that this commission has been proved through the widespread impact of his gospel labors. Paul labored even more than any of the other apostles, so those who would look to usurp his authority and teach doctrine contrary to what Paul teaches have to deal with the prominence and effectual nature of his apostleship, which ironically, their salvation even testifies to, right? Paul is the one who brought the gospel to Corinth. Uh, we might also note that, that you and I are beneficiaries in this grace of, of Paul as well. Uh, we should recognize our place in redemptive history. It's, it's more than likely that if you're tuned into this service that you are a Gentile. That means we were strangers to the promises of the covenant. We had no hope. We were without God. That's who we were. But by God's grace... Paul was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, and we too now have been beneficiaries of this grace. We've come to know the gospel largely through God using the apostle Paul in his ministry. If you remove Paul's writing from the New Testament, friends, you've taken out a majority of the books of the New Testament. So God's grace was effective. We're beneficiaries of that. Now, you might be asking, what? What is this, what's the importance of this? How does this relate to us today? Friends, this is of utmost importance because Paul, and therefore God's word, it is still, he is still under attack in our culture today. Paul's word, which is really God's word, is under great attack in our culture today. Paul continues to have many detractors outside and inside the church. Let me share with you something I was reading uh, a couple weeks ago. Brian McLaren, a leader in the emerging church movement, he writes about a conversation that changed the way he reads the Bible. Uh, McLaren was encouraged by a mentor and friend to listen to Jesus, not to Paul. I want you to hear this. He writes about this. He says, my lunch mate was a well-known evangelical theologian. That alone should disturb us greatly in hearing this. He says, who quite rudely upset years of theological certainty with one provocative statement. The statement was, most evangelicals haven't got the foggiest notion of what the gospel really is. Which, by the way, I agree with that statement at some level. I disagree with the reasons he stated it. 
Because after McLaren answered, he responds to the statement of this well-known evangelical theologian with a theologian with a quote from Romans that pointed to justification by grace alone, in faith alone, through Christ alone. And his friend responded and followed up with this simple but annoying rhetorical question. He said, you're quoting Paul. Shouldn't you let Jesus define the gospel? (sighs) You're quoting Paul. Shouldn't you let Jesus define the gospel? Friends, this is popular Christianity. Uh, This book is on the bookshelf at Family Christian Bookstore and Lifeway. This is in the church today. This is important. They're not the first. Many others have come and have attempted to pit Jesus against Paul. We cannot afford to be ignorant of these things. Many have been led astray by McLaren and others within the emerging church movement. Let me tell you something. The rejection of Paul's gospel is the rejection of the only gospel. To reject Paul's gospel is to reject the only gospel. To reject Paul's teaching is to reject the one who has empowered Paul by his grace, namely God of God, King of Kings, God himself. Uh, but God, God's grace, uh, he produces gospel labor. It is effective, but it also empowers gospel labor. I want you to see this as well. Our third thing we want to look at in our third phrase now is that God's grace empowers gospel labor. Paul goes on to say this phrase, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Paul wants to be clear. Yes, he's advanced the gospel further than than any of the other disciples. He has toiled and labored to bring the gospel to the furthest regions of the world, but this is no credit to his own. Uh, All the credit goes to God. God's grace, God's favor, God's kindness has rested upon Paul every step of the way. What does Paul have that he has not been graciously given by God? What has he accomplished that God has not graciously accomplished through him? It is the grace of God that advanced the gospel. It's the grace of God that protected Paul from being martyred earlier by his enemies. This is that grace that advanced the gospel in and through Paul. As Paul later would write to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, he says, Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Listen, this isn't synergism, okay? This is not three parts God and one part the Apostle Paul. It's not. Uh, Paul is toiling, he's laboring, he's striving with all the strength of God by the grace of God. In fact, listen carefully what Paul says in our phrase right here. He says, yet not I, but the grace of God. He doesn't write, not I alone, but with the help of the grace of God. No, he says this is, this is no combination here. This is all God, and therefore, for this reason, he labors and strives and toils in the gospel. You see, unlike many who misunderstand the doctrine of God's salvation and his sovereignty, this teaching actually motivates and compels those who really understand. God's grace is with us, and God is sovereign and in control of all things. We are not on some fool's errand in the Christian life with vain hope that we might be successful. 
No, in all our labors in the Lord, God's decreed will will be accomplished. The scripture is clear on that. So yes, we labor and we toil all the more, knowing that he's at work in us, that his grace will bring to completion all that he's promised in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, this impacts everything. It impacts our evangelism. It has to. It it impacts every aspect of our ministry, our teaching, our preaching. It impacts our serving. It impacts living our Christian lives together. It impacts everything that we do, understanding that it is all God's work. We strive, toil, and labor, and God gets every single stinking bit of the credit. Because he is the one who's at work. I could not help to be brought back to this verse as I was reading and studying 1 Corinthians 15, 10 through 11. It's a verse in Colossians chapter 1, and it's one of my favorites. Colossians chapter 1, 29. If you write down in your Bible, underline this verse, circle it, do whatever you got to do. It's, it's wonderful. Look how he puts it, it there. In Colossians 1, 29, he says, For this purpose also I labor striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. So let me read that one more time. I got to read it again. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. So how does Paul strive? How is he striving, struggling, toiling in his purpose of proclaiming Christ? He does so with God's power because it is God who is mightily working in him. That's what Paul's referring to in our text in 1 Corinthians 15 to 11. Paul is sending himself to make Christ known, yet he knows it's not him, but the grace of God with him. He's striving, toiling, laboring, not in his own strength or power, but with the power of God. And this gracious energy, it's it's not given to Paul as a deposit that he can use or not depending on the situation or depending on how he feels. That's not what we're talking about. Instead, Paul says this energy, it is being presently worked within him. If you look back at Colossians 1.29, that word which mightily works within me, that word works indicates presently, continuous working. It's the present tense of the verb, a continuous act of God's work of grace in him. So we know that this doesn't just apply to Paul, right? This isn't his alone application. We know that God's grace is also active in the lives of his children as well. We, you and I, we must learn to toil and labor with all his energy while he works mightily within us. God's gracious work in you will not be in vain. God's grace towards you will not prove vain. So far from provoking complacency in us, this should compel us to strive all the more to give ourselves completely to the task of growing together in Christ. Now, this could be applied in many ways, but I just I thought about just the application for parents. Even in this coronavirus season, many parents have been thrown into an additional role as full-time teacher as well. And I, and I thought about this verse in praying for you guys this week. This is my prayer for each parent of our church, that you would indeed learn how to strive with the gospel task that is set before you to bring up your children in the fear and admonition to the Lord according to his power. Why? 
because you are so confident that God's grace is mightily at work within you. Now, this doesn't mean that throughout your days you're going to be infused with some kind of supernatural strength and you no longer will grow tired or weary. But friends, it will change your attitude. It has to. It will change your commitment and it ought to change your contentment in the result. So so let us not grow weary in doing good for we know that the Lord is at work and our labor is not in vain. Well, let's move on finally to the last verse of our passage, verse 11. All that was just one, not even a full verse, like a second half of a verse. Isn't God's word rich, friends? I love it. All right, finally in verse 11, look at what Paul writes at the conclusion of our text today. He says, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and you, and so you believed. Uh, That's what Paul writes. Paul closes this section in the same way he began this section reminding the Corinthians that there is one gospel, and it's the gospel they believed. He finishes exactly where he started in verses 1 and 2 of 1 Corinthians 15. There is one gospel, and this is the gospel you have believed. There's one gospel, and this is the gospel you have believed. Literally, literally this verse says in the Greek, it says, It's whether then I or whether they, so we are preaching and so you all believed. That's a literal translation. Paul is emphasizing that this gospel is still being preached. Uh, The word preached is also in in the present continuous. It continues to be preached by all the apostles. So Paul is saying this is the gospel that we are all preaching. The same gospel you believe. Remember, Paul is preparing to refute the false teaching uh, that there is no resurrection from the dead. So he's reminding them that this one gospel is the same gospel that all of of the apostles teach, and it's the same one that all the Corinthians believed. This includes the fact that Jesus was bodily resurrected from the dead. So it seems appropriate for me to conclude with that one gospel that Paul preached and that they believed. Reminding us again tonight that the gospel, remember, the gospel is not a decision you have made. The gospel is not a prayer you have prayed. It's not doing what God commanded you to do. The gospel is not loving your neighbor. The gospel is not being the best person you can be. The gospel is not even the Bible. The gospel is in the Bible, but it's not the Bible. The gospel is that Christ died for our sins according with the scriptures. He was buried. That is, he really actually physically died. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures that he appeared. He was really bodily raised. It is in essence the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ that Christ came so that those who were without hope, sinners who were separated from a holy, just, and loving God, because Christ lived the life that they were supposed to live and then died the death that they should have died, that he was raised to prove so that we would be justified in him, the first fruits of the resurrection. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And even now he is seated there, interceding for his people, being given all power and authority. That is good news for people who were separated from God by their sin. That includes all of us. So what's the appropriate response to hearing this gospel message? The appropriate response is to trust God and reject sin. 
is to do the opposite of what we did before God saved us, rejecting him and living for sin. The appropriate response is faith and repentance. It is believing that Jesus died for our sins. It's trusting in Christ alone for salvation and turning from our sinful lifestyle. Friends, if if you have taken this stand upon the gospel, know that it is finished, that Jesus has done it all. Now, Now you are free to work, you are free to labor, you are free to toil for the sake of the gospel. That's freedom. If you have ever... Uh, understood the gospel, you know that it is true freedom. Now, friends, if you have never come to realization of your sins, if you never believed this gospel, you need to know there are only two ways to live here. Uh, By the grace of God, you can trust in Christ alone for your salvation and live for him, or you can deny the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection. Deny that he is Lord and Savior. Deny that he died for our sins and was raised from the dead. And you can continue to live in slavery to sin and ultimately suffer the eternal consequences of your decision. But no, there is only two ways to live, friends, because there is only one gospel. There is only one way to be reconciled to God. That is through the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you would celebrate with the saints knowing where you stand on these two ways to live, that you would be trusting in Christ for your salvation. Friends, if you don't, if you don't know, please do whatever you can to reach out to us to let us know how we can share this gospel in even more detail with you and how we can pray for you. It's our hope, every one of our hope at the First Baptist Church of Great Gables, that you, listening to this, would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that you would trust him and you would be free to work for his glory. Amen and amen. Why don't you join with me as we pray to end this service. Uh, Gracious Father, we thank you that we acknowledge and confess together, Lord, that you did not have to come and die for us, that you did not save us out of some necessity, Father, but out of your graciousness, your abundant love, and your mercy you did. Because of your grace and your mercy, Father, you have sent your Son to die for our sins, to reconcile us to yourself. You you were not compelled to do so, Father, but it was all grace. Father, it's for this reason that we praise you, Lord. It's for this reason we thank you, that we worship you with grateful hearts. And Lord, we pray for the grace even more to labor, even more extending ourselves for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, that he might be proclaimed, You might be known and exalted that you might receive all honor and glory through your people in Jesus Christ. Father, move mightily among us. Use this word now in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. Hope you have a wonderful week. We look forward to hearing from you Sunday. God bless.